0: Hey, amigas, I'm Holly Beck, and it's time for Second Breakfast, a podcast by Surf with Amigas. We are big fans of Second Breakfast. It's that time during our retreats when we sit around the table, usually after surf, and have engaging discussions about life, current events, and of course, all things surfing. We aim to inspire, empower, and educate while connecting to a community of women surfers through storytelling.
1: I had a lot of firsts on this trip. Like we went aground, our sailboat fully went over, which was insane too, like mast in the water. Like thought we were uh, donezo for a minute there. <laughs> and then we lost power. We were adrift at sea on the Drake Passage. Um, we were surfing with penguins. We had penguins like jumping in the water with us. Um, there were leopard seals, which is also very scary because they're like, you know, uh, hunters of the water. Um, we kind of work for it out here, but Antarctica is on a whole nother level. Okay. To all of you
0: suffering through cold winter surf sessions and maybe even starting to look ahead towards spring, thinking about shedding some millimeters in your wetsuits, here is something to put it all in perspective. Today, I got a chance to talk to Rachel, who is an amiga who joined us in Nicaragua on a retreat a couple of years ago. And she learned to surf in San Diego, but currently lives in Alaska where she works on a surf guiding boat. So, yeah, she lives on a boat in Alaska, cruising around and taking people surfing, which I just thought was super interesting. And I wanted to hear about that journey, how she ended up in Alaska, and what it's like to live on a surf boat. And then she let me know that she has just gotten back from a month in Antarctica on a crazy adventure exploring for surf in the super remote continent as one of the first two women to ever surf there. It's a great story, and as you put on your thick wetsuit, maybe it makes it a little easier to think, well, at least I'm not in Antarctica. Or maybe you enjoy cold water surfing and are curious about surfing in alaska or antarctica and in either case i hope you will enjoy our chat you are in alaska yes yeah we're in alaska (laughs) and i'm guessing that that means there's like very little daylight on a day like today
1: very little yeah because we just had the solstice and so we're gonna start getting like i don't know five seconds of daylight back like per day or something. Um, But yeah, I think the sun didn't come up till probably like 1030 maybe. And it'll be down by like a little after four. Wow. Yeah. So So
0: thank you for using some of your sunlight to talk to us. I'm surprised that you're going for it, but I feel very honored. Well, normally we start these out by saying, where are you in the world? And did you surf today? But we kind of already covered that in this little (laughs) chat. So I guess the, um, I'm interested in hearing your surf story. Where are you from, and how did you get into surfing?
1: Um, well, I grew up totally landlocked in Colorado, um, and I didn't start surfing until probably like my mid-20s, I guess. Um, I had moved around quite a bit, and I ended up in San Diego. I guess I surfed a couple times before I moved to San Diego. I was in Oregon a little bit before that. Um, but yeah, then San Diego was there and just kind of was really interested in it, which like, oddly enough, growing up, like, I don't think my parents could like, barely ever get me in the water. Like I did not like being in the water and like, it just kind of honestly, was like not a really active, um, kid growing up. I almost didn't graduate like high school because of lack of PE credits. Wow. Um, and so Yeah, but then when I moved to San Diego, something about it was like super enticing. And one of my good girlfriends moved down there around the same time as me, and she was really interested in it. And so she and I just kind of like went for it, and we both bought like wildly inappropriate boards I think my original like first board that I tried to learn how to surf on was like a seven foot gun or something it's like a mirror m3 but I was just like determined to surf this board um because it fit inside my car. And that was like the whole deal. I didn't want to have to deal with like putting a rack on my car, which was like a hysterical car, too. I drove like a Cadillac DeVille on like 22 inch rims that I found on Craigslist. So I'd like cram my board in there every day, go get pummeled. And, um, but yeah, then just kind of kept at it and really loved it. And, but I was only in San Diego for like maybe two years and then moved up here. Um, and was just kind of like determined to keep surfing up here. And so when I moved up, I drove up the whole coastline and had like this little book that was written in like the 70s that talked about like every surf break along the California coast and had that in my little paper map and tried to surf like the whole coast, which was really cool. Um. And I think for me too, that was kind of like the first time kind of surf adventuring on my own, um, which was super intimidating. Cause like, you know, as that point still was not like an amazing surfer by any means and like, you know, a girl and like on my own and all these new breaks, all of this was like pretty intimidating, but I was like pretty determined and went for it. And then, yeah, I came up here and met, um, some people that surfed and, um, just kind of stuck with it out here too and started out with just like also wildly inappropriate gear. Like I think I was wearing a 4-3 and I would stick like um, a one mil like, you know, like legless spring suit under that. And then I had like a hood, a separate hood that I would cram under there too and try and surf in the winter. I had holes in everything too. (laughs) I would try and surf in the winter and just be freezing, but was just like committed to it. Um, And then, yeah, just kind of kept with it up here. And now I actually work on a boat that we take people surfing all over Alaska and um, get to surf a pretty good amount for living somewhere that like, it can be kind of a challenge.
0: <laughs> wow! So, w- hang on. Like, what brought you to Alaska? What made you decide to move up there?
1: Um. Like, so yeah, I was in like San Diego for the two years, and as much as like I love the sunshine and surfing, it just wasn't quite the right fit for me, and was just kind of um looking for something different and a friend of mine had been working summer seasons up in Seward Alaska which is where I live now um and I ended up just kind of chatting with her on a whim and she was like well just you know come up for the summer and check it out it's like okay why not so yeah just drove up here and I worked um just like in the restaurants and stuff here and just kind of fell in love with it um there's just like endless amounts of like outdoor recreation. It's insanely beautiful. And like the community is, you couldn't ask for a better community. People are pretty great here. So, and yeah, just, so it was really like on a whim. And I went um, for one summer season and worked. And then I drove back down to San Diego um, and did a winter there. And then drove back up here and just never left. And it's been like nine years now. <laughs> so, Wow. I think it's interesting that you would say that
0: Alaska has so much outdoor recreation. I feel like most people would say that about San Diego. Like, oh, there's, you know, the weather's amazing. You can do everything. You can mountain bike and hike and whatever, surf, anything you want to do is in San Diego. So, what was it particularly or specifically about Alaska that had things that San Diego didn't?
1: Um, I mean, I guess to me, when I think about San Diego, I felt like really, in my mind, the only outdoor recreation was like surfing. Um, I mean, you can like run and you can bike, but like the mountains are so far away and like they're not, um, they're kind of not really like these mountains, you know, like here it's like in your backyard, you have these like insane, rugged peaks and, you know, some that, you know, no one's even Candy Lake has never even summited and they're just like right there, like looming in your backyard. And, um, yeah, I think it's just like the hiking, the kayaking, mountain biking, you know, surfing, um, which so many people would never, you know, think of surfing here, but it definitely is. And then snowboarding too. Like, I, I think I missed like the mountains, just kind of that easier access to mountains. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Growing up, you said in Colorado, you grew up. So yeah. growing up in Colorado, and then you kind of get the mountains and the ocean together. So that makes sense to me. What is something that surprised you about living in Alaska? I think a lot of us have ideas about what it might be like, but what what's different
1: than probably what most people expect? Um, I think, gosh, let me think about that. I think something that I've really learned that I didn't really know and something I didn't realize that has, I guess, surprised me to some extent, I think people value human life a little differently here because it is, even though it's an enormous state, like Alaska's, you know, almost the size of the entire continental United States um, with all the islands and everything, um, you really get to kind of, it's very small. Like, everybody kind of has, like, such a small degree of separation. And so, you know, when you hear about, like, a fatal car accident on, like, the Seward Highway or something, like, you feel it. Like, you're, like, you really feel it. Whereas when, like, I lived in San Diego, like, you could drive past that and be like, oh, man, like, that really, shoot, that's horrible. And then two seconds later, forget about it. Whereas here, like, it could be someone you know, someone's family that you're like just seconds of separation away from. And so when you hear kind of like about different, you know, tragedies or mishaps or emergencies, like it it hits your heart um, because the community is that tight. Um, And so that's something that I guess kind of surprised me in like a mindset that I didn't really think that um, it would. And yeah, I think just kind of the closeness of the communities here and how deeply people care about each other.
0: And was that interesting as an outsider to come into Were people welcoming?
1: Yeah, I think, um, it, that is definitely can be an interesting element because especially in the town I live in, there's a big, um, like seasonal worker that like come through every summer. We get tons of seasonal workers and that's how I started off too. Um, I think Initially, people could be like welcoming to an extent. And then it's kind of like, okay, well, you know, maybe I'll never see you again. Maybe I don't need to invest that much in you. Um, But I think it can be, it's really welcoming to the right people. You know, it's not, this is not the right place for everybody to live. And I think, you know, when you kind of almost prove yourself to be a person that has like longevity in this place, and you're not just like coming to, you know, make a bunch of money in the summer and then leave, not reinvest it in, you know, the town or anything like that. um, You know, then it can be like maybe welcoming on the surface, but not like deep heart welcoming. So I think it's welcoming for like the right people and like the people that want to stick around a little bit more too.
0: Yeah, that that makes sense to me. I can relate to that in living in Central America. It's a similar type of thing where there's a tourist industry. So there's the service workers that come down, surf instructors or whatever, yoga teachers. And as someone who has been here for, you know, a number of years, it's easy to just be like, oh, whatever. I don't need to invest in you and get to know you because you're just here for a season and then you're gone. And then yeah. you to respect the people who are like putting down roots and really getting to know the community and speaking Spanish and all of that. How
1: about the indigenous population there in Alaska? Yeah. Um, so we've got, you know, so many different like native um, villages and stuff like that Seward doesn't have a huge native population um so it's more kind of when we go out on like on the boat that I work on and we go to like really remote areas and spend more time kind of um you know in the villages and stuff like that and then Anchorage has like a bigger um native community as well but um Seward it's not super huge like we definitely still have Alaska natives here but um I wouldn't say it's like a really big, um, kind of influence on the community. Okay.
0: So I am really interested in hearing about what it is like to surf there.
1: (laughs) Um, man, I honestly, I love it. It's sometimes when we have, you know, people that like come out on the boat that are from like Hawaii or places that like, um, where it's, a you know, much bigger surf scene and you have a lot of people out in the lineup. Um, I think one of the things that I love about surfing up here is it lets you kind of be like a kid almost. Like you get to just like hoot and holler and yell for like your friends when like they're on a sick wave and you don't have to have kind of at least this is my experience sometimes when I surf in like California or other places, I feel like you have to be a little more like stoic to some extent. Like there's a lot of that, like, you know, assessing the other surfers and like, um, like, Oh God, if I paddle for a wave, I better not miss it. Cause I'm never going to get another one. It's just like a bit more of like an intensity in other places. Whereas here, there's just a lot more freedom because, you know, if you're you know surfing at some of the breaks that you can get to on the road system um you know it's typically people that you know and um there won't be a ton of people out like maybe um 14 is like the most <laughs> um but uh when we're out on the boat like it's just like us and the crew that we've out with us and so everybody's just like so stoked on the other person's wave and you can you know if you like drop in on someone it's not like this like catastrophic offense and things like that so i think it's just a very playful relaxed attitude obviously when you're in like waves of you know more consequence and stuff like that you're not going to like just drop in on people but um you know it's it's a very um joyful and i think kind of surfing at what it's like soul elements is um And yeah, I think it brings out people that are, have kind of a, um, like exploratory adventurous spirit, um, that are willing to come up here and explore these waves versus, you know, things that it's a little easier because it's, you know, it's definitely more work to surf up here. You have to like either get on a boat or you have to put on, you know, these like pretty thick wetsuits and stuff like that. And, deal with the cold and so I think it's it brings people that have a little bit more of like an adventurous spirit which I don't know makes it yeah there's something that feels very special to me about surfing up here
0: and what are the waves like in particular I mean you don't have to like blow up your secret spot although I doubt that this (laughs) is going to be sending a ton of people to swarm your spot like it might in other places in the world but like what sort of waves are you surfing?
1: Um, I mean, we especially, so like in Seward, there's one break that you can get to on the road system. And that one's like a river mouth. And then it also has like a reverb um, wave too. And it's, you know, it's tricky. Like we don't have, obviously don't have like surf line up here. So you have to spend the time like looking at the buoys and like, um know kind of what you're looking for and it's like you're looking at like the tides the buoys windy kind of like everything to make make an assessment um but yeah the one in town can be pretty fickle um when it works it's beautiful like it's really nice like peeling river mouth um but it's tricky like you can go down there and look at like (laughs) you're looking at all of the elements and you're like yes it is going to be sick today and you go there and it's just like a flat pancake like Cool, <laughs> so glad I had time to come down here, um but then, like when we're out on the boats, which you know, what I feel like I end up surfing the most is stuff that's kind of boat- access only um it's you get the gauntlet of everything we've got you know beach breaks, point breaks, river mouths, like reef, kind of everything, and um I mean, we can get kind of. The range of just kind of small, playful peelers to like some pretty serious, like barreling, double overhead, like you know, a little bit of puckering waves. <laughs> and, um, you just and it's so dependent on, um, you know, the swells that we're getting and the tides, which, um, tides here play a huge role. Like our tide differential is massive. Um, like just now, looking- how, how big is it? Um, just looking at today, um, high tide was 12 feet and then low tide was negative one. Okay. So yeah, you that's know? a pretty big range. And so it just changes so fast. Like if you see that, like, you know, if you pull up and you see that like the waves are good, like get out now cause they could be gone in like 10 minutes. So, um, and it makes so that like, you know, when you go even to the same spots, They can just behave so differently depending on the tide, Um, which, you know, makes it. uh, There's an element of fun. I think I used to get really kind of frustrated with it almost because um, I always felt like I could never just surf like a consistent wave where it's like, you know, you go to Waikiki, the waves like the same. And I feel like that helps you become like a better surfer because you can kind of, know what you're in for and you can get the technique and get stuff like that down and whereas like for us we would go to like all these different waves all the time and they just like can behave so differently depending on the tide I just just like oh god I just want something like cookie cutter all the time but in a sense I feel like that's made me like a significantly better surfer too because you can just deal with different uh you know all the different kinds of waves and never expect like the same thing.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Just to give people
0: a reference point, a 12 foot, or I guess you're saying 13 foot tide difference. I mean, California, I feel like a big tide is like a six or a seven foot tide difference. So you're talking about double the tide change. So if you're listening to this and think think about your break and how different it looks between low tide and high tide, and then imagine that the tide is moving double Yes. The other thing that came to mind when you were talking about that was that, um, like you said, it makes it harder to learn and progress potentially because you're not getting consistent consistent waves, but it is, I would think, making you a better surfer because so much of surfing is really learning how to read the conditions and adjust. It's almost the same thing with like f- surfers in Florida or a place like that where the waves are you know really poor quality and weak and mushy and gutless and you think oh they they would get so much better if they could surf waves more consistently and then you look at how many world champions come out of Florida because if you can learn how to find the power on a little tiny mushy wave then you get to good waves and you're just going to be so much better so it sounds like for you learning to read the ocean conditions and learning to read the windy and the swell model, the buoy not having surf line is actually giving you a much stronger foundation, even if it's going to take you longer, that once you have that, then you're going to be set no matter where you are in the world.
1: Yeah. And I actually like totally agree with that. I think it makes you definitely a more like well-rounded surfer, maybe like you're technique won't always be like your longboarding like cross-stepping nose riding technique won't be the same as somebody that like lives in like Waikiki where they have those perfect peeling waves all the time but here you're more confident in different kinds of waves so it's yeah I totally agree
0: okay so tell me about what it's like to live and work on a surf boat in Alaska
1: um yeah it's definitely it's great um Yeah, this is going to be my fifth season working with them. Yeah, it's my fifth year working with them. Um, And we usually like operate kind of from, we'll operate from like late February, early March through till kind of like early mid May. And then um, in years past, we've kind of taken a break. during the summer season, oddly enough, because like either all of us have jobs or like other jobs or, um, that's yeah, just kind of how I done it in the past last year. They operated through the summer too. And then at least usually for me, I'll start back up with them, um, kind of like late August and then run through end of October. And then we take like a winter break and get months off then, which is nice. Um, and then, yeah, the boat's great. It's really kind of like cozy and homey. It's a 50-foot, yeah, converted fishing vessel. Um, we now have two boats, actually. We used to just have one, which um, Mike, the owner and captain, ran that one, which is the Milo. And then last year, we just started up a second one called the Lucia. And um, Scotty is the captain and owner of that one, and I work on both and um the second one we do both surf and backcountry skiing on. Um so people do like combo trips on that, which is kind of fun, because like if the snow maybe isn't like the best quality or like Avy risk is high, then um you can surf, or maybe if the swell's like not super great, then you have the option to ski. So it's kind of cool to have um the two options. Um it's kind of funny, though. I feel like I've never been on a surf trip, though, because, you know, obviously, like any surf trip, you're kind of at the mercy of Mother Nature with swell and stuff like that. But I feel like I've never been on a trip where we haven't been able to surf like pretty much the majority of the trip. So that's kind of nice that we've found enough spots over the years that um, kind of anything will work. <laughs> um
0: I think about being like in a super thick wetsuit and then getting out of that wetsuit and then just wanting to like stand in like a super hot shower forever. So like, can you do that?
1: Uh, forever. Definitely not. Um, we're pretty like, uh, we're cautious about water cause like we don't have a water maker or anything like that on the boat. Like what we bring with us is what we have. Um, so there's definitely like a time constraint, but we have an outdoor shower and that's the only shower on the boat is an outdoor one. Um, so the kind of the rule is you only get to shower if you've surfed um, and otherwise, like that's not happening. And so the shower is kind of like, you know, like get your hair wet. Maybe you could like shampoo it and stuff um, because I have like this insanely thick hair. I usually wash my hair um, in the ocean. Otherwise, I would be taking up like all of the water. Um, and so, yeah, you know, like kind of shower over the head and then like stick the hose down your wetsuit enough to kind of like rinse off, warm up a little bit. And then we have like a pretty sick setup as far as like um, a wetsuit changing area. We've got, um, it's different on each boat, but I guess I can just describe the Milo. Um, You go like downstairs and there's this this like diesel heater and it's right by the engine room. And so it's like pretty darn warm down there. And so you can like change and take everything off. And there's, um, it's like a poured cement floor. And there's, like, grates in it, so all of the water coming off the wetsuit kind of drains into, like, our bilge. And um, then we just, like, hang all the wetsuits up. And honestly, within, like, I would – I mean, if we're going to surf twice a day, you're not going to have a dry wetsuit. But, I mean, who does? Um, But usually, like, the next day, your wetsuit's pretty dry. So – and you could, like, have, like, a place to hang up, like, all the little mittens and booties and everything. So it's, like, a pretty sick setup. I'd say The only the downside is, like, if people are, like, pretty consistently peeing in the wetsuit, then you do have to have, like, the pissy wetsuit smell room. So sometimes towards the end of the trip, it's like, oh, well, it's a little strong in here. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm
0: definitely in cold water. I'm definitely peeing in my wetsuit. There's no not peeing in my wetsuit. <laughs> but, um How many surfers can you fit on the boat or do you normally have in your group?
1: Um, So we limit out at six. Um, That's kind of what we're licensed for. That's what we can sleep comfortably. Um, So, yeah, it's usually captain, cook, a deckhand, and then six surfers is what we shoot for. So sometimes it's a group that someone fully puts together, like all six people, they all know, or we'll do mixed groups too, which is honestly really fun. I kind of like doing the mixed groups sometimes. It's like, I don't know. I think of the whole trip as kind of like adult summer camp. You know, people are like sleeping in bunk beds and, um, everybody eats together. And so it's kind of like, not that we only eat junk food, but there's definitely, um, a pretty solid stocking of like, you know, Snickers bars and things like that, which like you burn an insane amount of calories surfing in cold water. So people are just hungry all the time.
0: Yeah, it's a good, good week to get all your comfort foods in. Um, Are there waves for all ability levels? Or like, what was the ideal ability level where you're going to know that you're not going to be over your head, but it'll still be fun and challenging. challenging.
1: Um, I would say there's definitely waves for all ability levels. Like we've had people on the boat from people that have never surfed before from like pros. Um, and I'd say if you've never surfed before, like it's maybe not the best option. Um I mean people make it work but um you know we also can't really you know like anything we can't really control the swell on the trips so um, you know sometimes we have like pretty big bomber waves like you know double overhead like pretty macking fast waves and then sometimes you've got like chill like knee high pretty little longboard peelers.
0: Okay. So kind of waves for everyone, but probably, I mean, who wants to go surf on a boat in Alaska for their first ever time surfing? Sounds like a lot.
1: You it's like amazing. We've had like a few people that have come out with us and have never surfed before. Um, and sometimes that's on like the mixed surf ski trips, probably better to have surfed at least some before coming out with us consistently we're still discovering breaks that no one's ever surfed before so that's always kind of an exciting thing especially for people that get to come out with us you know the rule is the first person to catch a wave gets to name the break um so it's always kind of cool for people to get to leave their legacy behind with us a little bit and leave us with a wave they got to name so (laughs) perfect what about wildlife yeah definitely lots of whales um you know see um and kind of depending where we are like if you're in the seward um zone a little more um you're more likely to see and depends on time of year too like you could see bears we've seen wolves um lots of whales so like orcas humpbacks gray whales um fin whales Lots of porpoises. Porpoises like to um, love the boats. Like they'll um, kind of be cruising along in the boat, and just like a herd of porpoises will just like encase you. And they like to play on the wake of the boat, so they'll just be like you know diving all over the place, and that's always really cool. Um, uh, what else? Lots of sea lions and harbor seals. Um, yeah, you'll definitely see lots of wildlife out with us. That's a pretty pretty consistent thing um oh and i guess if you go to like the stream area we see bison herds too um so lots of wild bison uh feral cows which um, <laughs> is pretty random but yeah you'll see like wild herds of cows sometimes horses too so it's yeah you kind of see the whole whole gauntlet of critters out here
0: <laughs> and if Staying on a boat and surfing in Alaska is not remote enough. Did I see on Instagram that you (laughs) went to Antarctica
1: surfing? Yeah, I just got back about a week ago. Uh, We were on the boat for about a month um, and it was wild. Yeah, it was like, wow, full expedition style, like just hoping that we were going to find any waves at all. Like we didn't really know um, what was out there. Cause at this point, I think successfully only 10 people ever have surfed in Antarctica was kind of what we came up with. Um, and myself and the other gal that was on the boat were the first women to ever surf the continent at this point. So that was super exciting. We were pretty stoked about that. Um, and it was insane. The trip was nuts. Um, all sorts of crazy shit happened. but like we went aground twice. That was nuts. I've mean, had a lot of first um, experience. Despite how much I spend time on boats, I'm on boats like seven months out of the year, and had a lot of firsts on this trip. Like we went aground. Our sailboat fully went over, which was insane too. Like mast in the water, like. Thought we were uh donezo for a minute there, <laughs> and then we lost power. We were adrift at sea on the Drake Passage, which like I don't know if you know much about the Drake Passage, but it's like one of the most notorious waterways in the world for like um dangerous sailing, <laughs> and we lost our engine um so we were just like drifting aimlessly for ten days. Um, so it was pretty hectic but we successfully got to surf um 6 times so that was really exciting um we were surfing with penguins we had penguins like jumping in the water with us um there were leopard seals which is also very scary cuz they're like you know uh hunters of the water um, so yeah we sat like found um they're all like pretty small waves which is fine um but so a couple, some of them were really beautiful, and you know had really nice shape, and had like some good, and um, I mean just beautiful um, landscape, like surfing in front of glaciers or like elephant seal colonies or penguins everywhere. So it was, um, I would say, an experience of a lifetime. I'm just, like very glad I went, um, but I don't think I ever need to do it again. <laughs> You really have to, like, work for it. Like, we kind of work for it out here, but Antarctica is on a whole nother level. Um, and, yeah, we got really lucky with an awesome captain that was willing to take us places that um, – because it's very uncharted there. You know, most places you go, you have – the charts and maps that are very well detailed it's like there's a rock here there's a reef here there that is not the case <laughs> we're just kind of like very slowly driving hopefully hoping that we don't um beach ourselves on a reef which we did <laughs> where did the trip even
0: like come from like how how did it arise what was the point of the trip who was behind it how did you get invited etc
1: yeah, the trip, the whole purpose of the trip was surfing. Um, uh, a couple put it together that, um, yeah, this couple that I very briefly met off of the surf boat, they put it together. Um, and their intention was to put together a surf trip that, you know, is in Antarctica and with kind of a group of strangers and I was like, okay, like, I'm still kind of interested. And he's like, okay, well, actually, we need to start working on the permits. So you need to tell us in two days if you want to go or not. And I was like, oh, shit. Well, okay, I guess I'm in. <laughs> and so it kind of seemed like a trip of a lifetime and would have um, been bummed to pass it up. And so, yeah, this couple, Laura and Ben, they um, they had worked for quite some time putting the trip together. I think it was almost two years in the making on their end. and. Um, the rest of us kind of jumped in a little more last minute and it worked out beautifully. They found a captain that was kind of willing to be a bit of a cowboy and, um, take us to, you know, some places that had never really, you know, been explored before. And, um, yeah, it worked out beautifully as a group, you know, started out a total group of strangers. And then after a month on, a 50 foot sailboat, um, just kind of became total family. Um,
0: so this captain, I mean, I I don't know much about Antarctica. Like I think of it as a place where maybe there's like a little base camp of scientists or something, but like the captain, like, is he living in Antarctica or like spending part of the year there? And then you go and like, charter him and cruise around like are you flying into Antarctica? like i'm just so interested in the logistics
1: um so we he is he's kind of based a few different places um the boat he's argentinian and um but spends a lot of time in brazil um but he is kind of, I think the way he considers the boat is like, he's an expedition facilitator. So he'll take people like to the Falklands, to South Georgia, to kind of all these different places, Antarctica and, um, all these places kind of dependent on what the group wants to do. Um, and so the way we did it is we flew into Ushuaia. So the very Southern tip of Argentina, um, which honestly for me is like an adventure enough. Like I'm going from like far North in Alaska to the furthest point, like South. Um, So it took me like, God over 48 hours of travel to get there. Um, And then from there we sail from Ushuaia down to Antarctica. Um, So you go like past Cape Horn, which is like a pretty notorious area. And then down to Antarctica, which um, I think in our minds, we kind of thought it was going to be a little less time than it was. But um, on if everything's going well, it's going to take like it took us five days to get down there. So that's five days of not seeing land um, and just being a very small boat. Like it was a 50 foot sailboat, which that's pretty darn small for, um, the Drake passage. Most of the boats are like big cruise ships or like much larger vessels. So we were just kind of this little nugget out in the sea. Um, and the Drake passage is a terrible place. Like the water is so turbulent and chaotic because you have currents coming from kind of every different place. So, Um, there was a lot of seasickness going on. We had a couple people that were pretty much in bed um, the full pass crossing, like could not get out of bed, (laughs) which looked pretty miserable. Um, And then, yeah, so once you do the Drake Passage, then you're kind of getting into the area where we spent most of our time, which is called the South Shetland Islands. Um, And to us, that kind of seemed like the area that maybe would have the most exposure to swell while kind of one of the complicated aspects is, you know, there could be areas that are like super exposed to swell and look really good, but they're too exposed for the boat to be anchored safely. So you kind of have to find the combination of where swell can maybe get in and wrap in. And we can also have the boat somewhere safe and not um, exposed to just, capsizing um so that was definitely a bit of a challenge as well as like you know the areas that are super uncharted we would you know we spent a lot of time looking at google earth and being like okay like this area looks like some swell um could come in or some waves like you can maybe see waves on google earth and we'd show it to the captain he's like no we're not going there like that is you know he'd show us the chart and be like do you see all of the rocks that are like around here? Like, no, we can't go there. It's like, okay, let's try the next one. So it was a lot of kind of the dynamic of figuring out where waves exist and also what's safe. Because you're pretty on your own out there. I mean, there's cruise ships and stuff around, but you're pretty, uh, you know, if something goes wrong or if you get hurt, like it's a big deal. So you kind of have to take, all of that into account you're very far away from like actual help if you need it um
0: well how did you deal with you mentioned that yeah at one point you were adrift for 10 days so how do you solve that did you just were you able to fix whatever the thing was or did you wave down the cruise ship and hit the buffet or
1: what There was definitely moments that we were just like oh my god please someone rescue us we're so tired of being out here um because at this point we were on our way back from Antarctica to going through the Drake passage and back um back to Ushuaia and so since we're on a sailboat um you know we have the sails so that's great and then we also have an engine um and so when we were traveling back We were using our engine because we didn't have the proper wind, um, the proper wind to bring us to bring us home. And so as we're, you know, cruising through, um, I say cruising through lightly, you know, it's like, you know, nine foot seas that are like turbulent and not super fun. Um, The engine broke, went down, like the part of the engine um, malfunctioned and just ceased to work and so at that point we were just kind of like oh shit <laughs> and so you know we had the sails up but we were just kind of going the wrong direction with the sails up since the engine had broke down so you know i think we were maybe 2 days into the crossing and um yeah lost the engine and so you're looking at the chart plotter And you can see, like, the little boat on the map, and we're just going the wrong way. Like, we're going east instead of north, and we're all just, like, feeling a little demoralized, but everyone's kind of going through ups and downs of, we're going to be fine, it's okay, to, like, okay, this really sucks, can we just get rescued? Um, But our captain was, like, very steadfast, like, he, um, you know, didn't, and there's just, like, not a lot of options, I think, as far as getting rescued out there. I think the Argentinian government's kind of like your main hope. And um, yeah, it didn't just didn't really seem likely unless it was like a life or death um, situation. And so we just kind of kept cruising the wrong way for a while, which was definitely, you know, kind of wearing on all of our morale. And then at one point we got some good wind and we started going like the right way. like, yes, this is great. And I think finally the captain was like, okay, like I'm going to, try and fix what's going on with the engine um which was like a pretty um pretty solid to do like it required welding and um like i guess i could give you the moderately uh technical version like the propeller is attached to a shaft which goes into the engine and there's like a male and female part that fit into each other with like a bolt that kind of keeps it together and something had kind of gotten off balance. And so the bolt broke and then the male and female part were basically just like grinding each other down and losing the grooves that kept it like locked in. And so then it just like released and the engine ceased to function. And so the captain is like sitting there in the water like this with a welder and welding these little grooves to like, and like grinding down these grooves to perfectly fit back in there and we were just like oh my god I can't believe he actually did it and then it broke like seven times so he got to the point of being like a pit crew where he could just like rapid fire weld this thing and put it back together we started like timing him to see how long it would take at a certain point but it was like um yeah being at drift was not great I wouldn't say um because you can't do anything like when you're the combination of just being in that really like turbulent water, which sometimes the seas were getting up to like, you know, 10 ish feet, I would say. So, and then also when you have the sails up, it kind of, you're always on an angle. So, like, if you're trying to go to the bathroom, like, you are holding on to the wall with both hands to make sure you don't go, like, flying off of the toilet and like <laughs> holding on to everything at all times. Like, if you even just would stand without holding on to anything, you just go sliding across the boat. <laughs> so, that, like, wears on you when you're doing it for days. Um, you navigate that? Because I think you you said 10
0: days and in seas like that and all of that and not being able to do anything. Like how did you personally, it sounds like trust in the captain was an element, but how did you manage?
1: Yeah. Um, I am super fortunate that I don't get seasick. Um, I've been on boats, you know, a while now and I'm just very for like I was nervous that this trip was gonna be the one to um finally do me in but I was super fortunate and didn't get seasick at all but um it's still really not comfortable. Like you don't feel even though I'm not like puking or anything, like you just don't feel great. Um but some people I yeah, I feel very fortunate on my own because like some people you can't read, you can't watch a movie, you can't even like walk around without feeling ill. Um, So I read a lot. (laughs) But at a certain point, it's I'm a very uh, active person. And so to sit still and be like kind of captive for that much time was really kind of wearing on me mentally. So I started, um, I would like put on a life jacket and get a rope and just like tether myself to the boat outside. And just like, on a boat that's, like, doing this, try and just, like, do squats, <laughs> and I'm, I think the captain thought I was a psychopath, but, um, just, like, trying to, like, do squats or any kind of physical activity to, like, get my little activity endorphins up, <laughs> um, and I would just, like, sit out there tethered to the boat for, like, completely, like, bundled up, like, you've got every layer on, um, for, like, three hours, just to, like, one kill time, to have some fresh air and be outside and get like a moderate level of activity. So, um, that definitely saved me. And then, yeah, you know, trying your best to write in a journal, which is hysterical because your handwriting is just like appalling and illegible. Um, and yeah, I think just even the, the group dynamic, we were all very good at, um, trying to just like, I think stay positive for ourselves and for each other and you know, I think we all had our moments of like going down and then, okay, it's fine. And was there a concern of provisions? Because
0: were you then like out longer than you expected to be?
1: Um, the boat had an astronomical amount of food on it. Um, that boat I think could feed people for like another year. Um, the concern was water. We did have like, uh, day or two, I think it was two days without drinking water. Um, so we had, I and mean, couldn't like, couldn't wash dishes, but, like just using seawater to wash dishes or seawater to like cook pasta or whatever. um, couldn't wash your hands, stuff like that. And then, yeah, we were drinking. um, Your your options were like Coca-Cola, orange juice, or shelf stable milk. (laughs) So that was – I think that was when I was feeling probably the most demoralized because, like, my – My uh, friend calls my water bottle like my emotional support animal. Like I bring my water bottle like to the grocery store with me. Like I cannot be without it. So when I like the no drinking water, I was like, "We're gonna die. This is we have to get off this boat." (laughs) But um, then I drank some uh, warm shelf stable milk, and that really
0: (laughs) didn't help with morale. (laughs) No, I wouldn't think that that would help with the seasickness either. Yeah. Gnarly. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, I can see why, despite the beautiful memories that you mentioned that it wouldn't be something that you were eager to repeat.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, I think that was kind of the consensus between all of us, like experience of a lifetime, wouldn't trade it for the world. Most, you know, we got to see and do some pretty spectacular things. Um, and just to, you know, that we actually got to surf there I mean there's p- people I think that have tried and didn't successfully surf at all so um, we feel pretty fortunate with finding as many different breaks as we did and getting to surf as many times as we did um, but yeah, I don't think I need to do it again I think that was once was enough. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: What would you could you take I mean, I know it's only been a week, so it probably takes some time to process the whole experience, but if you could sum up, I don't know, something that you learned or came away with as a result of
1: that adventure. Oh gosh, that's a really hard question. Um I don't know. I guess it's probably something I've always valued. Um is the kind of the just the human element and how much we can learn and grow from each other. And, um, if you're open to it and I think on that trip, like that was, yeah, something I already kind of felt strongly. And then I think that really just solidified it even more. Like our group was, People that from so many different walks of life and, you know, even from all different countries, like at any moment on the boat, Spanish, French, and English was all being spoken pretty much all day, every day. And, you know, we have people that are, you know, I live up here and work on boats. We have like a physicist on the boat, an adventure racer, like all these different, um like 20 four year old surfboard shaper from England, like just totally different walks of life and experiences. And yet we all just mesh together so well and we're able to learn so much from each other and just connect on such a deep and loving level. Um, And, and, you know, I think I see that a lot on the Milo through a love and passion for surfing. I think you so often hear people say things like, oh, people are the worst, like, oh God, humans are just the worst. And to get to be surrounded by people that there's nothing bad about them in any way. And to just really know, yeah, the goodness of people and how wonderful human connection really is. And especially sometimes in the, when there's like some adversity and challenge and not the most comfortable position, we can all be very loving and wonderful to each other. And I thought that was, uh, yeah, I think I'll feel that in my heart for a long time. (laughs) Awesome. That was great. I love that. So
0: if people hearing this (laughs) are inspired and want to try and surf in a place like Alaska, and even maybe with you, like, how can they do it? What's the, what's the best way to go about doing a surf trip
1: in Alaska? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd say at this point, we're kind of the ones, um, especially if you want to go, we're really the only people that do what we do. Um, at this point, we're the only people that do like multi-day trips and, um, um, there's a few people around that do like some day trips and stuff, but we're kind of the only ones that explore as far as we do and kind of do what we do. So Alaska surf guides are, the, is the one to look up, um, you know, definitely check out the Alaska surf guides Instagram for a lot of really epic Alaska surf porn. Um, and yeah, it's, um, you can, yeah, probably hit up, uh, Scott bryerson as your, your man to talk to. Um, so yeah, go on either the Alaska surf guides website or Instagram and hit up Scotty and he'll get you all set up and hopefully get to come out with us some time and check out the waves.
0: And what if you do are prone to seasickness? Is it just maybe you should look at a different option or is it going to be super wobbly the, the
1: whole time? Um, not the whole time. We do, um, you know, we try to anchor in calm water for the night. So the, <clears throat> the intention is always to, um, you know, kind of be anchored in somewhere like flat and comfortable to sleep in. Um, you know, we definitely have had people come out with us that have dealt with seasickness, but there are so many different, um, ways to kind of combat it. Um, there is, you know, Tramamine kind of all the different seasickness medication and honestly for most people once you've been on the boat for a couple days you just kind of sink into it and you start feeling better um and like definitely getting into the water you know sometimes it if you're seasick and not feeling good it'll feel really hard to get your wetsuit on but as soon as you get in the water it just helps like you feel so much better
0: awesome well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm actually I'm actually so glad that we got to wait to hear that story of Antarctica because that was really exciting. Thanks so much for listening to Second Breakfast, a podcast by Surf with Amigas. If you like what you heard, think of a surf friend who might like it too and send it their way. Give us a follow, rating, or a review on your favorite podcast platform to make sure you won't miss the next episode and help others find us. We are all about community. So please do keep in touch and let us know your thoughts and what you'd like to hear. Find us on Instagram or sign on to surfwithamigas.com for updates and inspiration to explore retreat dates and locations. While you're there, check out our blog and join our newsletter.